I chose Evie because I was not looking forward to this Pikachu constantly blabbering at me. Oh, boy. But, oh, man, was I in for a yeah. shot. Because that Eevee does not shut up. Yeah. I bit it up. My wife was like, oh, turn on the music so I, like, I want to watch a little bit. And oh, so God, and Eevee's like, Eevee! <laughs> She's like, oh, my God. Butterscotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 180 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, the Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm amused at the universe. And I'm Sam, and I'm an RTE. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Cold Ember Freeze. Ooh, oh, 2018. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, so children should not put yeah. their ears anywhere near this. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're going to get something in the, stuck in the... In the ear hole. And then you can't use a Q-tip to get it out because according to the packaging, you know. Because yeah, you go straight to jail if you put a Q-tip in your yep. ear. Yep. Also, I wanna, I'm want i proud of Sam because I just noticed he pronounced it artiste, which means not only has he finally believed he's an artist, but he's even taken it to, to the, the next, artiste level. The next gone, level. Have I gone too so, far? Uh, congratulations. Knows, yeah. Very nice. Also, I <laughs> want to point out, it's episode 180. That means we've come half circle, everybody. We are now, <laughs> yep. oh, we are now going the opposite direction that we were when we started. It's all downhill from here. Well, it de- depending on how you're measuring direction. <laughs> and Radially. Yeah. You're measuring it in degrees? Yeah. That's implied. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Gotcha. We have, we have formed a U-turn, and we are now 180. Maybe we should just call it, this is the Pyth episode. But is, isn't the way you measure the degrees in, isn't it from the right and then up and left? It depends on how around. you turn your paper, you know? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, math-wise, math uh, you know, a degree is just uh, there's an angle between two lines yeah, or two yeah. rays. But so they could they could be going goes. anyway. Uh, programming, it's always you know we're it depends on the, the programming depends language. on the language. Yeah. Game maker, we're starting to the right. Okay, so we're actually so we actually we were going, going backward. Yeah, we were going to the right. Uh, uh, Ninety episodes ago, we were going up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things were pretty things good were looking at that time. At, were now great. we're going left. I don't yeah. know what we've got. It's, pretty, it's all down from here. And then <laughs> it's all down. No matter yeah. – for the next 180 episodes, it's just going to be down. So I hope you enjoyed the first <laughs> half yep. of Coffee with Butterscotch because mm-hmm. it's about to get really dark. Mm-hmm. But the great thing is that once we get around this circle, we'll be 360 no-scoping. We get to – yeah. Then, then it's just replays. Like episode 361, it's yep. just going to be a rerun from that's that true. point mm-hmm. from that point forward. Um also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got a new person. It fell into our money pit. We <laughs> <laughs> grabbed their money. Lord Rawl yeah. says, Brother kings of Butterlandia uh-huh. of the Scotch Isles, I glean much <laughs> knowledge and entertainment from your discourse of the profession of game genesis. And world lessons, and find myself wishing you these mm. beverages of cafe. Ah, that's uh, <laughs> Lord Raw said this. Yeah, so thank very, you very much. Very we also, lordly. We mm-hmm. also have recurring supporters who we would like to thank as well for just uh, just driving by once a month and just sort of peppering us with nickels. Yep, it's great. It hurts, but we we accept. We spend a lot of time picking them up. All right, let's talk about life since this is life, business, and working in the games industry. Mm-hmm. First, in that order, it's winter. One of the great things about winter is you can't step in things. What do you mean? You can only step on things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the only things you can true. step into are liquid things. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I was thinking, you know, you step in uh, dog poop in the winter, no problem. Because it's a rock now. It's a rock. <laughs> it's and, a poop rock. Yeah. You step in a puddle. No, you stepped on a puddle mm-hmm. in wintertime. Yep. So, But then you have the additional layer of complication, which is now that puddle, while, while solid, is also very slippery. It is. You know? It is. 
you can you can fall onto a puddle, but you can't fall into a puddle. That's right. <laughs> so it's kind of a you know it's a mixed mm-hmm. bag. But mm-hmm. I feel like you know for those times when you aren't falling, it's very it's very good, very beneficial. You know, I had the other day. I probably didn't even have to lock my uh, car door because it was frozen shut. So there's yeah. another benefit. You can't yeah. you can't go you can't step in things and you also can't get in things because mm-hmm. everything is frozen. Actually, I feel like if someone would have seen me in the parking lot, they would have thought I was breaking into my own car. I was like <laughs> slamming like my bridge against, <laughs> against, against. You ever have that? I thought I was going to rip the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always have that. You you can't get it open and you start mm-hmm. pulling the handle and you feel the handle because like normally the handle isn't supposed to give. Yeah. because the door is on it. The door is supposed <laughs> to open right. when you start to feel the the handle like bending a yep. little bit. That's a. So I was doing one of those shoulder into it situations. Did you probably try pouring some boiling water over your car? Uh, no. Like throw some hot coffee on it? You don't just, just carry boiling water? I, guess. I don't really have uh, like quick access. <laughs> well, so that's probably, I, mean, <laughs> I don't this, have one of those bidets. Well, first, just, this, this, this is winter now. So now you need to have a thermos of hot water for melting your car. Uh-huh. You also need to have another thermos full of cat litter so that if your car gets stuck – you can pour. You it. can attract I don't know, cats like, on the tires. I'm not sure how that works. I think you attract the cats, like so. And, and then, then you, it. well, then you sort of lasso them up like an Iditarod oh, situation. Right, yeah. Attach mm-hmm. them to a car. Get them to pull you out. You yep. need yep. a lot of cats because they, but they have claws, which is how they can get. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's where that's where they're way better than dogs. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that litter thing, but now this is it makes a lot of sense. Adam, you've been doing physical therapy. Let's talk about what's that about. What's that about? So I started physical therapy on Wednesday because I've got I got a bum shoulder. But I don't really – the details don't really matter. Like just, it just keeps crashing on people's couches. And yeah, basically. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was an interesting thing I just realized as I was doing because there's this huge problem in medicine called patient compliance, which every listener knows about because you're part of the problem, yep. just like I am, just like we all are. If, we are, if you've ever been a patient, you are a part of the problem. Exactly. Which is that like, a doctor prescribes you something and you then don't even do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's you, the short of it. You came to me and paid me too much money because yeah. of how the healthcare system works and here's exactly what you need to do. Yep. Patients are like, I'm going to do – Maybe twenty percent. Yeah, at best. Yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, and when it comes to when it comes to drugs, like people at least because drugs are easy to take, you just throw them in your mouth. That's fine. Mm-hmm. So people are still terribly non-compliant. Correct. But at least it's easy, so people are not too bad. But when it comes to physical therapy, people don't do shit because yep. now they got to exercise, right? And which they already don't do. Which they're already not doing. Which mm-hmm. is why they have to go to physical therapy in the first place, probably. Which is why I had to go. It turns out. <laughs> so of course, if they did it, it would be a double benefit because they'd be getting exercise. Which yes. they need anyways, yeah. and they don't have. But, so, also, but I was thinking about the framing then, because like in the framing, so, so I, you know, went to the went to physical therapy. She basically she's like shaking my shoulders, and she was like like in the joint, and she was like, "You got some real loose, real loose fucking joints. You're all you loosey goosey." And uh, she said that can be a good thing, and and I now I have to say what she should have said because she wouldn't just come out and say it, which mm-hmm. was. That could be a good thing if you had strong muscles in your shoulder. Mm-hmm. If you weren't a weak baby. Exactly. <laughs> but instead, she she very carefully danced around, like, implying anything about how fucking weak my muscles she are. She didn't right? want you to feel like a weak baby. Right. Yeah. But what I needed to know was that the reason for my physical pain was because of how weak I have decided to become. Yeah. Because that's a personal decision. That's true. You yes. know? That's not – you didn't just happen to become weak. No. It was because I – and it, it is a little, and it's not quite that because like I still have worked out a little bit. I'm not as weak as I could be. It's that there are also certain muscles that I don't use normally, and and I don't ever mm-hmm. use when I'm working out, right? And those are the ones in particular that basically don't even exist. So it doesn't even have to be offensive. This fact that I've got weak ass muscles. It's, right? just, it's a just a fact. It's just a fact about the universe. But by not telling me, and so I realized it kind of after the fact. After I was like thinking about, it, I was like, why? So why? 
why am I like this? You know, why, why, did, why, why do I have these <laughs> loose <laughs> fucking joints <laughs> that, <laughs> that are causing this pain? And then I was like, oh, well, it's because it's because I've got weak ass muscles, you know, it's yeah. as simple as that. Well, so, but that though, because now this is a whole like the framing now is important when it comes to compliance, right? Because if you just say, hey, you need to do this because you'll feel better in six weeks or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, okay, but like, well, why? And like, it sucks so to do it or whatever. she said, listen, you need to go get some gains and get swole. Because you're weak bro. as fuck. Yeah. Right? And your weakness is literally crippling your, your body. Your weakness <laughs> is crippling your body. Then I'd be like, oh, shit. Like, Which actually, so actually weak, though. Like, here's the thing. That's the difference between a habitual change. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I need to actually like change mm. how I approach my life versus just saying, okay, if I just do this. For six if weeks. If I bear through this for six weeks, then I'll be I'll be healed, right? Well, and actually having having uh, weaker muscles causes a lot of problems generally. Because yes. also weightlifting, it strengthens your muscles, which then strengthens the areas around your joints, which then it helps with joint pain and stuff. But also it improves your bone density. Yeah. So if you mm-hmm. have various like, uh, you know, as people get older, they'll like fall and break something that they otherwise normally wouldn't have broken when they were younger. Um, but you can help to push that kind of stuff off by lifting weights. Another thing so. you can do if I – this is something I vaguely remember from like 100 years ago. So it could be completely wrong. Go which for is it. that. Some, leeches. Some, some NASA study. <laughs> le- leeches, probably. But yeah. there was some NASA study where we were trying to figure out how to increase bone density in astronauts, right? And so they, yeah. they're doing all these different things. And one of the things that they, that they, if I remember correctly, discovered was that if you just vibrated a person, you know, like so you just shake them. You, you put them <laughs> like a vibrating plate or like something, right? Uh, then that actually increases bone density, like to the same degree that that all kinds of physical activity. So would. you're saying that those ab belts that like vibrate the shit out of your whole body are, are actually they doing might something. Actually I think those actually tase you. It's just like six tasers that you, that you stick yeah, It's the reason that when you look at those, because they, they only show you the front part of that belt, you know, but if the you, inside is, but if you see the back, the back just, is actually two guns. <laughs> yeah. And then there's barbs and there's, on the front. Yeah. And, then, and it shoots, and it yep. shoots around and it like, gets caught in this little loop thing, but then mm-hmm. flings them back right into your I always thought that looked incredible. And I realized in retrospect, it was probably, so they, you know, they always put it on a, on like a, on a, just a, a person with rippling abs. Yeah. And you're, if it'd you're, probably be really gross on anybody. Else. Yeah. <laughs> well, at first, first you're thinking like, oh yeah, they got that way because they used this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They this taste belt. Right? So there's like, there's a couple hilarious things about this. One is in the commercial, the the abs, like you see it, it's like, <gasps> and it's like flexing rhythmically, you know? Yeah. Um, and really it's probably just the person flexing. Yeah, like it's probably yeah. the thing isn't actually doing anything. But then it's even more hilarious when you realize if this machine worked, then what it is doing is literally just rhythmically flexing your abs, which you can already do by yourself. Yeah, but now you don't have to have the willpower. (laughs) Yeah, now you don't have to do it. And and everything about compliance is about getting around the willpower problem. Well, so then this compliance thing is another problem too because no doctor actually knows whether or not – the thing that they have told their patient to do has worked. Well, because yeah, they don't they know can, if you did it. They can generally yeah. guess that you did not do it. Yeah. That's, Which that's makes a it much really safer hard. guess. A lot of why we don't know if most kinds of modern medicine work. I remember I had a conversation with a doctor. is because nobody, no doctors can ever actually find out if you did what they asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember once I had a conversation with a doctor about some problem and I was like, so is this like a, this is a good, this is a long-term thing. Does this work? And he's like, well, uh, normally when I do this, I'd never see those people again. So yeah, right. I'm like, are they dead? <laughs> either so either it worked again. or they died or something in between. Yeah. So it just catapults the- them into the void. That's yep. what it is. Yeah. And and most things do resolve themselves. So if somebody comes to the doctor for some sort of a grievance, right? 
uh, chances are they won't come back, even if the mm-hmm. solution didn't do anything at all. Because they're like, well, I guess that didn't do anything. I'm not going back there. Yeah, or yeah. or I guess it did, but it actually didn't do anything right. at all. You right. know what's crazy about your shoulder problem hmm. is that I had the same problem uh, when I was cheerleading. Yeah. So after uh, about two years of cheerleading, because we would practice for six hours a week, and uh, my shoulders would just hurt like hell. And so I went to the doctor because I was like, clearly I got a problem. Did some x-rays, and they're like, nothing's wrong in there. Uh, but your joints are super loose. Yep. We got, we got loose fucking joints. And they were like, who in your family has loose joints? And I was like, our mom has like, she could double joint her fingers. Yeah. She's like popping things off. You know, it's like, and she, so she just takes her arm off. She just, just like, like put it back in, just whatever. Yeah, and yeah. so it's in the closet. And yeah. so the nice thing about the loose joints is that you don't get some of the, some of the mobility injuries that other people get during like running or whatever else. Yeah. Cause you're. Because your joints just kind of slip all over the place and don't really care. And but you can't dislocate it because it already is. It's, it's, just, it's is. dislocated all the time. Yeah, well, that's what he said. So like my right shoulder, they're like, your right shoulder is just kind of like a third out Yeah. by default. And he said, you need, like you literally have to build muscle to lock it in place. Right. Yeah, you can't just have the ordinary amount of shoulder muscle. Yeah. Right. So yeah. That you need to be thing. Dwayne Johnson. And, yeah, and that's the frame that I need, right? Because it's not that, it's not because I am also weak, right? But it's not actually that. It's that. I need to be a lot stronger than normal in right. that specific part of my body <laughs> yep, right. because I have a weird anatomical problem, which is I got loose fucking right. joints. But then you don't want to just do that because no, then you'll then you be like weird. Then yeah. you have like puff balls like <laughs> out of your you'll be like weird shoulder pad guy. Yeah, all he does is go to the gym and just but do if I, you know, three I've hours of shoulder. A lot of video games. And I know that the level of power that you have is it directly is. correlated to how big your shoulders are. That's true. So. Yeah. Well, no, that's shoulder pads. Well, yeah, but they'll look like shoulder pads. That's yeah, true. If you just put something on them, shoulder pads <laughs> that's true. Now. Power level is always correlated to shoulder mm-hmm. size. So I guess, yeah, you could just neglect everything else. That's yeah. that's probably fine. Yep. Uh, all right, let's get on to some studio news. Uh, I was on a podcast this past weekend. It's called the Object Podcast, but it's spelled OBJ underscore podcast because it's a game maker podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, syntax that a lot of people use. For creating objects in Game Maker, mm-hmm. OBJ underscore. So I assume this is a very like nitty gritty. Uh, kind of, it bolts. was a, it was a great conversation. Kind of bounced around. Um, there there were some nuts and bolts things about how to do some some stuff in Game Maker, um, but we didn't we didn't like dig into like complaints about optimization or any kind of like really deep in the sure, weed yeah. stuff. It was more just conceptual. But I guess stuff. for those of our listeners who feel like that's something that is missing from their lives in this podcast, because we don't go into a lot of technical detail and anything yeah game maker and so on. yeah that's a good podcast for that um yeah so if you want to catch that it, it does come out semi sporadically but like with like on a one to two week schedule so i'm not totally sure when this one will, will be out but maybe maybe by this uh mm-hmm. by this time this one comes out um and then otherwise we've been jamming on level head super hard yeah so sam has been building levels for the campaign mm-hmm. which there will be a campaign as we've you mentioned many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about that experience. Yeah. So, so the, the big question is sort of one of what the mechanics of level head and the play of level head suggest about how you should be building levels. So in a game like uh, Mario, for example, um, the platforming is actually not super responsive. It's not super fast, right? Uh, and on top of that, when you die, it takes a long time before you come back to life. So what those two things taken in tandem suggests is that you should build – you build levels in such a way that that players can enjoy or like can spend quite a bit of time in the same level, and then also uh, that they sort of expose the player to a bunch of different kind of tricks and stuff like that. Because right. so you want to have like secrets people can find, mm-hmm. you want to have shortcuts people can figure out if they're right. crafty, so right? They because can feel smart because the player actually doesn't move super fast through the space, right? 
Uh, and what that means well, not is, the first time, especially. Yeah. yeah. And so you can move, you can make these sort of these longer levels that are maybe even more, so sort of like feel more of like a narrative or whatever else. Uh, and then you, on the flip side, you look at something like Super Meat Boy, which uh, respawn time is basically instant and you are expected to die a lot. And it's extremely like sort of turbo responsiveness in terms of the platforming. Um, the level design there is, is tends to be both, it's a sort of a combination of really quick when you're learning skills and then as in like literally three to five second long levels where you, you do a thing to learn a skill and then you move on to the next I remember level. the first level in, in Super Meat Boy, you just like leap yeah, real far because yep. of course like it's very floaty as a, as mm-hmm. a platformer. Um, but in retrospect, and when you started designing your levels, I played the first one, I was like, this seems way too fast. But I was thinking back to the Super Meat Boy and I was like, oh yeah, the first level, you literally just leap and then you're at the end yeah. of the... Yeah, it's one jump. Yeah. Because it it's, takes under a second. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so, because the, the basic idea with level design, especially in the in the context of the campaign, the job of the campaign is to first actually teach all of the platform mechanics that the character has at their disposal. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't have the... The Mario Maker advantage, which is they had 20 years of Mario games, actually exactly. 30, I guess, years of Mario games to to pull from where people mm-hmm. already knew what a shell it was and a mushroom and, yeah. a and how to navigate, how to jump on yeah. shells, how to throw stuff. Yeah. So they didn't imagine if, if uh, you had never been exposed to that franchise and you went into to Mario Maker and like tried to figure out what all those things do. Yeah, because basically the, like you just see a turtle, you're like. Okay. Yeah. Okay, what is just an enemy? And then you would jump on it and be like, what the fuck? It left a shell behind. Right. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you would never expect in a million years. And in the context of like a workshop, that's sort of is basically the completely wrong place to try to learn these things because of, yeah. the, of the loop. So, for you're example, not, you're not being shown the things by a designer exactly. to learn them. You're just like handed the, the behind the scenes mechanism. Yeah. So you can't no get any idea. sort of tips and tricks on how to use them in yeah. some way. So, right. that's what the campaign is for. So, is this, and this first set of levels is really designed to, to, just try to get people to learn all the skills that we need such that if they, for example, go online, God forbid they pull down a level, you know, from the community uh, because they wouldn't be prepared if we didn't actually do something like this robust campaign in the first place. And so um, it was really interesting putting it all together and all told the first series of levels that really basically teaches like the whole suite of skills you need, including the really advanced ones, um, ends up being about 12, 12 levels total. With like a little nice capstone thing on the end of it. And that might, might change. It might be one or two more or less depending on what happens as we go forward. Uh, but the really funny thing was when I tested it on uh, on Adam because – so I'd already refined it a few times. And of course, Adam's played the game a bit but not a ton. Maybe mm-hmm. for like what, a couple hours or something. Probably a total of like four hours. Yeah. Like, so he knows he knows how it works basically. This is actually part of our design process is we keep Adam away from the game quite mm-hmm. a bit mm-hmm. so that we have – a pair of fresh eyes to show like big incremental changes yep. to. And so well, uh, he's doing web programming and stuff. Yeah. So I got to bring Adam on to watch it. But the thing is, he's also been playing only levels from the hub, which is the online component of it. So yeah. levels and, that and all of us have in built. In particular, there were levels mostly that Seth had built to test certain mechanics, certain mechanics mm-hmm. in the game. And so they were like really weird. And then Seth also sort of tends towards the uh, sadist kind of, <laughs> of level yeah, design. Seth makes yeah. really hard levels. And yeah, so yeah. most of the levels that Adam has played have been ones that are designed to sort of trick or just be like so difficult that you almost have to have a survivor's approach to it where, you know, GR18 can carry things. So that's like part of the, the core of, of the game. And so if there's if there's a thing to carry in one of those levels, you should just keep it with you. you at all assume times. that if I don't have this, some horif- horrifying yeah. thing is <laughs> going to happen. But you can only hold one thing at a time. So yeah. now it becomes this whole like juggling, juggling problem. <laughs> so it was very funny watching Adam because over the first uh, like six levels, which again, like they, they bounce between maybe like 
uh, five seconds all the way up to like a minute, those first couple um, of just sort of playing around. And Adam sort of, Adam was like kind of poking around in the whole space, like they're trying to figure out like, is something going to murder me? Like really well, I also want to say, checking every hole, like everything was just hysterical. Because we, we have false terrain. In yeah. The game. So you, yeah. you can you can put down terrain that it, you can like walk through it, and once you go inside of it, then it reveals the, what's mm-hmm. inside. And so, in some of these uh, published levels that we made in the past, we would we would have levels where like it, it once you really explore the level, you'll find that there's some unbelievably impossible thing that seems like it's just no way to get past it. Mm-hmm. But then if you just like walk the other direction through a hill, it's like, oh yeah, there's a like a barrel in there that just launches you to the end and you're in. <laughs> right, right. So we had, we had all these kind of like troll levels that if you really poked around and explored it, then you would just be able to get past right. everything. The problem, is that, so the problem with that is that uh, you end up with a situation where the player does not trust the designer anymore. Yeah. And yes. so you can't, the designer then can't actually use most of your design tools, which is things like, for example, if I put a, a trail of coins down, you know that I'm basically, I'm telling you, like, follow this trail. Follow this trail. And I can even make it so that you and go. This into is true areas. when you play a Mario game or anything else, right? right. Is you you know that there's a the, the designer put that there to get you to do something. Every block should be placed like for a very particular reason, yeah. and it's always to guide the player, not usually to murder the player, which is a very different approach. And it might be to to like add some tricks a little bit, but it's sure. never to like to do something that feels unfair or anything yeah. like that. And so it was very funny watching Adam because basically he sort of started off with this sort of like you know abused mindset coming in like mm-hmm. i can't figure this like is this okay are we i'm t- taking everything with me um and then by like the 10th level or so was relaxed enough that was actually you know following the directions that i had sort of been implicitly laying down using backdrops and coins and everything else um and sort of gotten into it and then afterwards he's like this is really different when you play it play it with someone who designed it on purpose <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but yeah. It, but it's, i think it's a really well, and you're designing problem the intent of the intention of the design is to teach Correct. Which yeah. means you have to you have to develop trust. Yeah. And, but that's actually true with with uh, with any platformer because like, it's it's to teach anyway, right? But it's all, it's actually to teach how to to like, sort of assemble cues in the environment yes. to what you're then supposed to do, so that you can beat the level and so on. Uh, so that when you play games like Super Mario, there's just you end up having sort of this eventually completely intuitive understanding of what you're seeing, so that the instant you see something, you kind of you know what your, to do. Your fu- your thumbs just do the right thing to get you where you need to go. Yeah. And that will not be true in public levels. No, which is why all. we need this campaign. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I, but I think it's it, it adds actually an interesting la- layer of of complexity to the to the overall design of this thing, which is that the moment our players go into the level hub, mm-hmm. the way that they'll play the campaign afterwards is Might not going different. to be the way that I was playing it, right? Which is very defensively and like and concerned about all this kind of stuff and. And so we have to figure out, like, how, what does that mean? They might not, though, because, think, because once they get used to the way the campaign levels are constructed, and they'll yeah. they'll be able to feel the the difference between <laughs> yeah. the two. You know? True, I yeah. hope so. So they yeah. may they <laughs> may. But that's only true if we keep them in the campaign for a while before even let it because before even exposing them to the level hub at all. Because right? the moment we throw them in there, their whole framing of this game has oh, yeah, necessarily changed. Yeah, and, that, and that's actually something that we we believe that we have to do, yeah. which is we're not, we're not going to let you build levels until you've reached a certain point. In the campaign, because you will have you will have like beaten enough levels that that we're confident that you know how a lot of the mechanics work, that you've mm-hmm. seen what we believe are a bunch of well crafted levels that are well paced and all right. that stuff. Um, just to kind of like we don't we don't want somebody to just boot up the game, immediately go into the workshop and just start publishing crap nonsense, you know. Yeah. Um, and so and and on the flip side, we also don't want somebody to open up the game to immediately go to the online stuff and start playing 
these unbelievably impossible tricky. troll yeah. levels. Yeah, because you, know? you need to know how to be – you already need to be good at the game before you go wade into that, right? And we, we've had this ongoing discussion since the very beginning of just like where that line should be of, of how much campaign that we use to teach people before we let them start playing that content. And I think after – I know after that experience, I'm like I'm leaning even more heavily towards basically like as much of the campaign as we can – Chunk have the well, you basically treat it first. like like two games, or essentially like the the uh, the online stuff is the elder game. Exactly, you know mm-hmm. that's. Uh, so I think I think and we, our, might not, we may we may not have to introduce it at like the very end of the of the campaign, but it's gonna it's gonna need to be like a a way a decent there, chunk, a deep way. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is because of because of the structure. I mean, we're gonna have a there's gonna be a lot of levels in the campaign, just yeah. sort of by default. So like the those twelve levels introduce the core mechanics of the game, and then the first like ten items. That, I mean, including like the ground as far as sort of how our you know, spreadsheet works. Yeah. And so I think I mean, I'm up to like 14 or 16 levels now. And I, I'm only on what we've sort of specced out as like the second tier of stuff that we're going to be introducing. And so yeah. of like 10. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of things. Yeah. To play well, but there's because there's another it's just interesting, right? Because as you're introducing this content, what, what you were discovering was that you were introducing stuff kind of a lot slower than you thought. Yeah, you would right because because of just the degree to which you need to really teach and and make mm-hmm. things feel good. Um, yeah, my initial pass was six levels, out. right, and then it ended up doubling because Turn I realized out. that I wasn't the the total number of skills I that were required to actually just play the game effectively were way more than I. Well, anticipated. a lot of them are what you call a compound skill, yeah. Yeah. where it's like there, for example, there's a thing you can do which is you can pick up the package, which that's a skill. Mm-hmm. You can throw the package onto a row of spikes, which that's a skill of like aiming the package, mm-hmm. right? And also knowing that you can put it onto spikes. Then you need to jump and land accurately on it, which is another thing. And then you need to jump off the package while grappling downward and moving to the right. Yeah. So that's – and that's a super advanced skill. Yeah. So that way you can like jump off the package while also picking it up. So the interesting one is because we've been playing the game for so long, it just didn't seem like it was a problem. That's like – that's right? just one move. And so, the whole like kicking the package onto spikes, jumping off it, or picking up, that's just one it's just thing, a thing that you, you do. do. And so <laughs> and basically what, what this allows you to do is you can reach areas that are kind of inaccessible. You can even chain this together so you can make a situation where you just have like a long row of spikes, for example. And then maybe there's something good at the other end of it. Mm-hmm. And players will pick up that that's probably what the case is, right, after you teach them this sort of thing. And then they can try to do this, like, a repeated package jump, as we call it, yeah. to say to not be touching the spikes. So so this ended up being, like, one of the hardest ones to teach because it's actually these, like, six different skills layered but on that also other. became, because it was such a neat, fun trick, that became in the levels that we were playing previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, like, just a core mechanic that was always, yeah. always used. Once you know so how to we've do all, it. So we've all – it was actually when I first picked it up. And try to and try to do that. But after like Sam said that already made a lot of the game, like did a whole bunch of stuff, and I picked it up and tried to and tried to do this thing, right? And I was like, how the fuck? Like I couldn't figure it out actually, yeah. like at all. And I was trying to figure out how you to just do it. You didn't have the muscle memory. For I it. didn't have the muscle memory for it. I had, and and both Sam and Seth were just like, it's really easy. You just like hold down and like you just you just do it. You right? just press A, and, hold uh, down, press X with the other part of your thumb while holding down <laughs> and just move get the, right and get the timing the, perfect. Yeah. That's that's it, you know. And it's uh, like a Street Fighter combo. Right. How hard could it be? And, <laughs> and, uh, and because we didn't have a campaign to teach or anything, then what I ended up doing is is uh, because I couldn't get past these parts of these mm-hmm. levels that Sam and Southern made. Is I just you built your own I campaign built my own. Yeah, I built yeah. my own little mini level in the editor that just let me experiment and like try that thing over mm-hmm. and over and over again uh, because I needed I needed a, a context in which I could actually go right. learn it. So the best part though is that so I I took this I've been taking this home to my wife to test it on her because one she doesn't play. Uh, platformer games basically yeah. at all she, she likes to play low stress games yeah because she's got a, she's got a pretty high gain response to stress and so uh like battling is just not usually a thing and she's so, all about like roller coaster tycoon uh-huh. 
building stuff, like having yeah. a good time, you yeah. know, not being stressed out. And so uh, I had taken the initial set and the and the initial set made it so that she couldn't she couldn't get past like the third level of those first six that I'd made because of the package jump. Yep. Um then I busted out into the twelve, took that home. Um and it, she could almost get past part of it, like six levels or so. But again, the package jump was a problem. Yeah. Redid that. So added that a whole tutorial level basically for that. And then so on Friday uh, or on Saturday morning, we sat down and played it together. And yeah, she was able to – because of the structure of this this exact level that teaches this really hard technique is such that you can just die repeatedly as you're sort of putting these – putting each piece of the skill onto the stack that makes this big advanced skill. Um, and so within like three or four minutes, she now has the ability to do it. And she's like, oh, I see. She's like, it's one of those things that you can't think about. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you cannot think about. You it. just have to know how to do it. Yeah, and then right. it just Which happens. You need to be able to learn it and practice it in a in low a stress yeah. environment. Yeah. So, as I think part of it too is we were trying to teach it on a level where there were so many things that could go wrong yeah. that were unrelated to whether you did the move. Like enemies could come in and kill you. You could like slip and land on spikes mm-hmm. and all this crap. When really none of those things are needed right. for you to learn mm-hmm. this move. Man, so, so, so bringing this back to the whole like separation of the campaign and the level hub. Then now this interesting problem, or even if we introduce a whole bunch of mechanics, like core mechanics like this one, mm-hmm. you know, and and say we, even we introduce a power up, so like the Eye of Gorble or whatever, so mm-hmm. the you know little ninja guy. Uh, so we introduce that, and then we're like, okay, cool. Like we've given the player a lot of stuff now. Like let's let's give them all the stuff they've seen, so they can go actually play with it in the editor, right? Uh, but now they still don't know what all the other stuff is. And as yeah. soon as they can go in the editor, they can also go into Level Hub. And now in the Level Hub, they're going to see all the other stuff mm-hmm. that other players have unlocked. That we haven't taught them how to interact with yet, yeah. right? Yeah, and so now they're gonna their first introduction to all of that other content is gonna be by other people, not by us who are who don't have their interests in who mind. Do not try to teach right, exactly, yeah. and and which which to me like all collectively means that that mm. the, that the campaign actually should have two parts. The campaign should have a sort of tutorial is the wrong word, but like the first part of the campaign is all about teaching all the content. Mm-hmm. Like that's its whole yeah, thing, and it's gonna, and it's, but it's gonna take a long time still. Yeah. Like it's gonna take hours and hours. But like that's the 50 thing. to 100 levels right. yeah. minimum if we really like right. I've been like Now that, now so that people have people the skills, I found I can pack in like two or three things into like into one level right. essentially. Right. So, so we give people basically all the content over you know several hours of gameplay through the, through the campaign. And then at that point where they've seen everything that has like a real important functional difference, right? Mm-hmm. And they like learned all the skills that are, that are obviously different and so on. They've seen all the power up to doing all that stuff. Um, there, could, there could still be some stuff left. Yeah, that is a little bit more cosmetic or a little bit more of a minor shift or whatever on a mechanic they already understand that doesn't then need to be taught necessarily in, our, in the context that we control. But so that at that point, we now get to release them into the wild mm-hmm. and see what happens, right? Where we can then continue the campaign from there, where then the campaign is just all about us continuing to make really Ratchet good levels and ratcheting the difficulty and demonstrating different ways of making levels and thinking about it so that you still get a lot out of continuing. But now you get to feel like you can go take all the stuff you learned and make levels and play other people's stuff. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of we got a lot of figuring out to do. Yeah, <laughs> well, and and there's I think there's the final problem, which is the the marketing problem. Yes, which is of course like one of the things people are going to be most excited about is building and sharing levels. Right, but there's like a miswanting thing, which is yeah, it's not in their best interest to do it immediately. Yeah, they would have a pretty bad time if all we did was like, hey, here's 120 different things you can use to yeah. build with. Well, you have fact, no idea what any of them are. And all fun. the levels they would try to play would also suck. Right. In fact, most of the level editors that we've seen launched level editing games that we've seen launched that were predicated on that in the past like year or so as we've been working on level heads or keeping an eye out, none of them have a big campaign. 
They, they usually have unlocking mechanisms. And even Mario Maker yeah. has this, where like over time you unlock new things. To yeah, put but, into but they the don't editor. have a campaign that you actually play through. Right. And so the result then is that is that players, the only way to understand what the mechanics are, are either to experience them via sadistic levels they find online or um, to sort of try to play with them in the I area. have an idea. What? I have an idea. Okay. As people are working through the campaign, we know sort of like what their general level of progress is, mm-hmm. right? Which means we can put sort of like a score on that. Yeah, we, we could like, tie like, that to the levels they publish. Exactly. So that when we when they go to look at levels – we only show them levels made by people who Who've are at the same, yeah, their yeah. level in the campaign yeah, or earlier. It. Done. Boom. We just designed. Nice work. Great work, team. Uh, all right. Let's get on to <laughs> industry news. <laughs> what happened? All right. So two things happened. One is Pokemon uh, Let's Go is still, still crushing it. Mm-hmm. Sam got it. Yeah, I played it uh, for about six hours of the weekend. No, wait. Pokemon Go or Pokemon Let's Go? Let's Pokemon go. Let's Go. Yeah, Eevee and, and Pikachu. I got Eevee, of course. Because yeah, so Eevee, which one did you get? Also Eevee. Because Eevee can turn into like nine different things. Well, Why also, want- I have to say like Pikachu can turn into a, a bigger Pikachu, though. Yeah, well, pretty- kind of. It's a little more. It's more like a rotund Pikachu. Right? <laughs> yeah. Why is it bigger? With I mean, a longer tail. He's bigger width-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, girth. I chose Eevee because I was not looking forward to this Pikachu constantly blabbering at me. Yes. Oh, boy. But, oh, man, was I in for a yeah. shot. Because that Eevee does not shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I bit it up. My wife is like, oh, turn on the music so I can like, I want to watch a little bit. And oh, so God, and Eevee's like, Eevee! <laughs> She's like, oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a thing. They are screaming all they the time. They are very vocal. They're very vocal. But I, I mean, that's a lot like my cat. Yeah, Adam's so, got a cat yeah, like that. fair. Pretty standard. I'm used to that. But yeah, yeah, so I, I played it quite a bit. Um, and based on our discussion last week, you know, uh, we talked about, uh, about Pokemon Let's Go and some of the you know potential weirdness of having this what is essentially a, a mixture of Pokemon Go and the core gameplay. Um, but I found it very – I actually very much enjoyed it after – after it took about three hours before I was like, okay. It's weird, you know, but I think it works. I think it works. But I think there's enough problems with it. There are enough problems with it mechanically. Oh, yeah. It's not perfect. That make it just sometimes real annoying. So the actual – like the capturing mechanic because you have to use the damn switch to point at stuff. Right. Yeah. You have to actually it point, uses the gyro tilt oh, around. Yeah. And then I was trying to catch a, an onyx, which is like this huge snake rock thing. It's like you have, to like, you have to like look up. Yeah, you have to look up to do it. <laughs> but then also you that have is no, cool though. It is cool, but you have no depth perception at that point because now the ground's gone. Mm, and so yeah. and you're you're arcing this the ball right. arcs. Because like, you have to hit it in the head or something? You have to try to hit it in like a certain zone to okay. catch it. And then that zone shrinks. And if you get it when when the zone's super small, then you get like an excellent throw, which yeah. increases likelihood to catch it. And so, so the riskier you you make your throw, the yeah. if you do make it, then you get a boost. Yeah. So and so it I I don't know I threw like probably fifteen balls at this freaking onyx and I couldn't I just couldn't get the damn thing in the right spot and so and this basically like a, a few of the a few of the Pokemon that I was starting to catch are like they're jumping around they're kind of like gigantic or they do stuff where basically you have to tilt the damn switch all over the place and it just doesn't actually work that well. Like it's just yeah. not honestly, it's just not mechanically tight enough. Well, what you got to do is when they're jumping around and stuff, you gotta you gotta give them berries yeah, to yeah. calm them down. But I don't have enough berries for that. I'm yeah. saving my berries, you know, because like it's you, just like rejuvenation potions in Diablo Two. You're like, you never use. I them. know I'm gonna need these, yeah. so I'm never gonna use them. Yeah, yeah. Then you I know there's legendary or it's just, or it's just ammo and an FPS. You know, like I, it is like playing Half Life. Forever ago, I would I would end I would always end the game with infinite ammo. Yeah, I always because I would never the, use it. Yeah, I always just use that bee gun that just regenerates yeah. constant alien bees. And just keep accumulating. <laughs> I'm like, I know this isn't ideal, but I might need my ammo. And then yeah. I end up fighting the end boss with a bee gun. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's like, another boss after this. Yeah, or in Fallout with the the 
What's the little mini nukes? You know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the fat, fat man. Yeah, the fat, fat man, isn't it? The, the gun is called like the fat. I can't remember. But yeah. It was, but, but, but then it throws the mini yeah. nukes, right? Yeah. And you collect like, and mini nukes are super scarce. There's yeah. like a dozen of them or something. And so to fall out three, I remember like, I remember looking up a guide even to like, try to find all of them. And I literally never used one. Yeah. yeah, I literally never used one. Like, you come up just because there were only twelve, and then you come yeah. across a scenario where there's like nineteen people shooting at you, and you know that the designers were like, "This is where yeah. you would use the mini nuke." But instead, you're like, "I don't know. What if I come across twenty guys?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How often will this happen? Will this yeah. happen a dozen times? Because well, so, so, this kind of goes to their point, though, which is that uh, you because you're chucking these pokeballs at these Pokemon constantly, right? And so the mechanics are are just wonky enough that you can't like you can't really effectively feel like you got to hold on how you're throwing these damn balls to these things, right? Like it's kind of – It's pretty loose. It's pretty loose and it doesn't quite work. But then the – it's like ammo. Like the balls run out after time. Yeah. And yeah, you have – you basically have infinite of the shitty regular, you know, red and white Pokeball. But you have to you buy the other ones. catch anything with them anyway. Yeah, you have to buy the great balls, ultra balls, all the things that actually make yeah. it possible to catch a lot of these more uh, hardcore things. And so, yeah, I bought – I went and bought like 20 balls before going to this cave. And then I fight those Onyx and it just – I can't donk the thing effectively enough with this ball. So I go through – I burn like 12 great balls on this thing, which is like a billion dollars in this game. Yeah. And, you know, the previous Pokemon games, you just have infinite money. Yeah. And you never have to worry about it. Because there's nothing to buy. But now I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and then it was just – so basically like it, I think they – there's – if that system was actually tighter, I think it'd be really fun. What they need is essentially a, a mini nuke version of a Pokeball that you can just like hit the ground anywhere mm -hmm. and the splash damage will absorb the Pokeball. <laughs> sort of like a, like a Ghostbusters ghost trap. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, you just yeah. slide it on the ground. You're like, I don't uh -huh. care where this goes and it just sucks the Pokemon in there. The other thing yeah. I found interesting though is that the – and I can't remember if this is the case in the first version of the game. But the battles seemed very samey this time around. So – for example, like you're you're in a particular area, and there'll be like one or two types of trainer that hang out in that area, which have one or two types of Pokemon. And as the game goes on, they they keep on stringing together more and more of these trainers before you get to the next sort of safe zone. And so you might do like fifteen or twenty battles in a row with people who each have one or two of these Pokemon. And the end result, though, is that you see the same one. You see the same Pokemon, just like everyone has the same kit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember feeling that. At I don't all, remember feeling like that. And it and it ends up just being. Like I was in the Spirit Tower thing in Lavender Town, and it's just fighting. Well, I think maybe part of it is that um, in the in the old game, you also mixed those battles up with wild battles, encounters, right? right? True, yeah, yeah, because it was yeah. rare that you would actually battle people back to back That's true. at all. Yeah, you'd always be having to fight a Zubat generally yeah. in between. Yeah. If you want to fight, if you want to fight three hikers, be ready to be attacked by thirty nine Zubats yeah. in between because that's <laughs> your life now. So yeah, it's there. There, and I, that ends up sort of uh, to me, it ends up causing a bit of a pacing problem where like basically because i was able to just run between these battles with no interruption because you can just dodge you just walk around pokemon yeah instead of having to get deal with them which previously i was like i hate zubat i never want to have to deal with zubat now i'm like i think zubat was the savior that we yeah. all it was, it was the buffer in between. <laughs> it was the pacing buffer you yeah. know by the time you get to a trainer you're like thank god well this, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is where we talk about in the past about this you know this problem of convenience yeah and, and how um, having things that kind of suck makes the good things yes. even more good. You yeah. know, if everything is brought up to even, then it's kind of a bland yeah. thing. But I think it's still good. It's a still good game. It's just oh yeah, I've been I've been enjoying it a lot. It's it's very different. I think I'm kind of I'm have you done have you and Diana co-opted it? Because I'm curious. I have co-op feels like apparently you can just two v one things. Yeah. Yeah, in the battles, if like if somebody else has a Joy-Con, then you just bring out two of your Pokemon and just beat the shit out of the <laughs> other person's one Pokemon, <laughs> which I feel like is it's 
kind of just cheating, really. but also much more likely how it would like if I if you run around with six of them, I would just have my all six in my Pokemon. Yeah. I would just like be there's no there's no rational reason wagon. why you wouldn't just summon all of them. Yeah, yeah. Like well, why, maybe, they're, maybe they're hard to control or something. You know, so you just have to have like the that's one. True. Could be, could be. Uh, all right. Well, we have one more industry thing. We mm-hmm. have to hit it quick because I'm gonna get on some questions. Uh, Fallout seventy six things are things are going. Things have continued. To I don't happen. know what this is like. The this is the. Uh, the winter of giant studios just flying off the rails. <laughs> what the hell they're doing? So, about yeah. seventy six. The game has has been getting generally quite unfavorable response. I think it's fair to say it's been universally panned. Is that um, the the yes, content term. has been criticized for being non-existent in the sense that they removed story, they removed uh, characters. They removed dialogue, like all the things that people liked about the previous Fallout games. They just got rid of that, and they kept the thing that that admittedly is not necessarily the selling point, which is that the game takes place in a barren, lifeless wasteland. Yes, um, that's not really like what makes Fallout Fallout. It's more mm-hmm. of the other stuff. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh, the multiplayer. Then also, people are talking about how like it's mostly just revolves around like doing these fetch quests, and you don't really need to actually do anything with anybody else, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of happens in multiplayer. So this is all bad. So, already. so so the design people are not super pumped about. But then apparently it's so buggy that people also can hardly even play that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, there's been this huge fiasco with uh, with what has happened. So for starters, people have been trying to get refunds. Yeah, they are not able to get refunds. Um, I think they're, they're sold directly from Bethesda. Yes, right, like not uh, not through Steam or anything like that. So if somebody wants a refund, they got to like contact Bethesda, and be like, "Can I have a refund?" And Bethesda's just like, "No." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Too bad uh, you agreed to the EULA or whatever. So people are upset about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even worse is what happened with people who uh, pre-ordered the collector's edition. So there was a big advertisement for uh, for if you pre-order the $200 collector's edition, you get this cool-ass helmet. Mm-hmm. You get this cool like military-styled nylon bag with like a cool logo on the side. You get a map. Or a canvas, canvas bag. Thing. Canvas bag. Yeah. Um, and you get like some other cool stuff. It's a really great package of goodies. Um, and so a lot of people sprung the $200 to get this thing. And $200 is a lot. It, that's what you would think you would spend on high-end goodies. And that's what it looked like the goodies were. Right? Yes, because they had pictures of the goodies. Yes. And they they looked good. They looked good. <laughs> so people got their their – collector's editions and it turned out that there was no canvas bag and instead it was this super super cheap ass wrinkly uh almost disposable nylon bag like a trash bag yeah with a logo like slightly above a trash bag with like a plastic logo kind of like glued to the Mm -hmm. tape to the side of it you know and so people were like what the hell (laughs) and so that so people went to look at things like on amazon or, or any other places where they were still signing the collector's edition. And sure enough, they're still showing pictures of this canvas bag. And so people thought maybe there was a mistake or something. So they talked to customer service and customer service is just like, oh, no, the thing is, it turned out the canvas bag was too expensive. So we just swapped it for this nylon bag. Uh, and they were so people are like, are you going to do anything about this? And they're like, no. And so <laughs> literally they just said, no, we don't plan on doing anything about this. Big uproar. People uh-huh. got pissed off. And so the response was by Bethesda was to give everybody five dollars worth of in-game uh, currency for them to buy like something from mm-hmm. the the in-game store yeah. relative to their two hundred dollar right. And the problem purchase. is five dollars is not really enough to actually get anything from the in-game store. So for people to actually use that that currency, they have to spend more money. More money. <laughs> 
And so well, I saw a further wrinkle here, which is that uh, one of the influencers posted the bag that they got. Yes, which is well, this, this is the super final bit. fucking rad. Oh. So they actually they got they actually had custom made canvas. It was a different bag, a different but it bag. was still a super nice canvas bag that Bethesda gave to a bunch of YouTubers and Twitch streamers mm-hmm. um, who didn't pay for it. Like they were just yeah. given it, you know, to, yeah. to promote the game. But that sort of makes it so that an influencer would accidentally trick their own right viewership into thinking that getting this, this was similar. Yeah. So there's it's just been a. Oh God! Like I, <laughs> well, I think the the crazy thing is the response would be in like, look, I know we sent out this bag that was literally not what you purchased. Like you know, kind of just like, like how we, the game that you bought was also lied. probably not what you thought it was gonna be. Yeah. Like. Um, well, yeah, this is the, the bag has become a metaphor for the game, yeah. right? Which is like we paid a people paid a ton of money to get this thing as advertised, and they were just handed this piece right, of crap right. that doesn't do any doesn't do what it. But then on top of that, giving people giving people five dollars. So we talked about this problem before, which is that if you don't pay someone to do something. Uh, it has a different kind of value than if you do, right? So, like, if you have a friend over, for example, and you're like, oh, well, we'll just have some beers and, like, move some stuff or, you know, weed the garden or whatever. That's one thing. But if you're like, hey, why don't you come over? And if I if I paid you the equivalent of those beers, it was like, I'll give you $7. Mm-hmm. We now have a transactional relationship, and it's bad because yeah. it's actually worth $7. And, in fact, by putting money into the equation, money is now the point of the equation. And they've and so, underpaid. And you have severely underpaid for that. <laughs> And so this is exactly what happened with this, where instead of being like, oh, like, you know, we're sort of sorry we fucked this up. Um, like, here's a bunch of, you know, I don't know, in-game stuff or or just your a decent amount of cash back by saying $5. If they, yeah, if they had said, like, here's $100 for the in-game mm-hmm. store, maybe, maybe that would have done yeah. it. Because then that's enough of, like, $100, even though it's, it's imaginary monopoly money that you can only use in their yes, right. store, you yeah. still don't have to spend more money now to actually Correct. get something. Um, and that is uh, more than the value of a nice canvas bag yeah. that you would go get on your own, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, and it's apology money, right? It's apology. It's like, hey, money. we fucked it up. Well, and, and the, yeah, a proper apology of any sort, you know, takes some amount of sacrifice into account. Exactly. You know, like in this case, like when they said, like when they gave five dollars, right? Yeah, they're they're actually just saying we're not willing to to make any meaningful sacrifice. And actually, this. we're going to try to rig this apology to get more out of you, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. such so, a bad move. Yeah, it was like very much a. Oh yeah, so I mean, I think the the, the question that I keep coming back do, to who's yeah. running the show. I keep, I keep going back to I'm like, who the fuck is driving this boat? Yeah, because it's about to crash into the dock, and yeah. it seems like nobody is turning this thing. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have more next week. <laughs> sure. I, I, I can't imagine uh, sure. that this is the end of what's well, happening. They're rolling out a patch uh, on Wednesday, I think, to like fix a whole bunch of the bugs, and, and a huge patch on like the 14th. Mm. I imagine with each of those will come a new saga of uh, bugs of horribleness. So, yeah, I saw an we'll article see. where somebody was like, "Fall seventy six has the makings of a great comeback story." I'm like, "Well, I mean, it has to come back." Like, yeah, <laughs> the, just the start, it's bad yeah, right the start of bad, any comeback yeah. story is framing. something is bad. Like, yeah. you know, um, very optimistic. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think it's just overall it's a bummer just because the, the Fallout the Fallout series has been. Super great with especially with like right. Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas and stuff. Um, Fallout Four, I felt like started to get weird a little bit mm-hmm. away from the from the source material, but yeah, we're just we're just in the ditch now. So flying off the rails. It we'll, is interesting we'll how that. much if you're a big company with a beloved franchise like Diablo Three, also mm-hmm. right, uh, how you can really fuck up your launch. You do not have infinite goodwill. No, no but the thing is actually remarkably, you kind of do, right? Because like, because Diablo three turned, I mean, it took them six months or a year or whatever, but they turned that thing around. They, did, they made yeah. a su- successful title out of it, and and people like make fun of them still because of that. But people don't have the same kind of like vitriol they did at the beginning, right? right. Uh, 
Uh, and with Fallout 76, Bethesda could, in principle, if they actually stop being so weird about all this and actually like <laughs> fix stuff and, and, and make a product that, that matches their standards, uh, they actually, I fully believe, could turn it around. Mm. But if we did that, Oh yeah, no, we'd be done. We'd just be toast. Yeah. Like, that would just be the end, you know. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting. It's just kind of an interesting thought. Too big to fail. Yeah, they're too big things. to fail. Really. Yeah. I mean, that's the dream. But the, <laughs> but the only way to fail is if they just decide to continue failing. Yeah, you know, which they appear to be doing. Right which now. they appear to be doing. <laughs> we'll so. see that's crazy. I mean, the fact is, even with their absolutely botched everything. They're going to make so much more money with Fallout 76 than we will ever make with anything. That oh, we yeah. make. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> so, you well, know, there's, actually, there's an interesting follow up degrees. Here. Last piece of industry news real quick, which yeah. is that Steam announced that they've reduced the take the, the, their cut, their platform cut uh, from 30 yep. percent to 20 percent total. Uh, but depending on some very interesting criteria, which is all about the people at the top. And so essentially what's going to happen is it works sort of like a almost like a reverse graduated uh, it it is a like a regressive tax. There yeah. you go. Yeah, the so, more money you make, the less tax you pay. Yes, which is also, I mean, that's true. It's very American. It's very American. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, if your if your game makes over fifty million dollars, ten million is the first tier. Yeah. If you make over ten million, then they change the split from seventy thirty to seventy five twenty five. Right. If you make over fifty million, they change it to eighty twenty. Right. And now, of course, like if I was making that much money, I'd be very happy for that extra, you know, five or ten percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's like five. But to me, the, the the interesting thing is they, they frame this as sort of like, well, you know, at, at some level, like we understand that your success is actually just because of your product, not because necessarily we're pushing it and that you're buying our users or whatever. I think realistically what has happened is that there are now all these really big players who are trying to get off of Steam yeah, because, Epic, of, because well, of the size of the cut that Steam 100%, is taking. Yeah, Epic just bypassed them for Fortnite. Yeah. Bethesda didn't even use them, yep. did they? No. Nope. No. Yeah, well, this yeah. is the problem is if you have a non-curated platform, then you're – the cut that you're taking is you're actually not providing any value. In yeah, you got to provide a service, right? And so, so I think I think Steam is sort of acknowledging to try to like make keep those those big players from yeah. leaving by saying like, look, we understand that if you're this big, it's not just us that's doing that, right? right. But uh, but to me, this is interesting because what they should have done is a bell curve. It should have been that if you're at the bottom of this thing, like like probably a little bit below where we were with Crashlands, um, but you know up to sort of like somewhere to that level. They should also take a reduced cut, yeah, because they're actually not doing much for you either, right? right? Or maybe they should just start doing something for people. Well, no, but the thing is, <laughs> no, but but I, actually, I disagree. But with I don't that. think they can. No, yeah. I, I disagree with that yeah. completely. And this is this is what I think you hear this argument all the time in the indie circles. The problem is there's there's, there's a no. finite amount of stuff that can be done, and there's right? too many, and games. it cannot be equally shared. There yeah. are too many games, and so if so, to me, like Steam not pushing a game is just them saying like we don't think we can sell this, right? That's fine. Not necessarily their fault. But don't Who take thirty percent of the cut. Don't take thirty percent right. of the of the, the ten thousand dollars <laughs> right. that the person makes or whatever. Maybe take none right. you know? for the like, first ten k of sales. Yeah, exactly. Or something. Like, like it could be on a bell curve because it's actually the people in the middle. I think at about like where Crashlands is, and then up to some you know five x that or something like that. That the reason, like the reason we were successful on Steam, was because Steam pushed our game. Right. That is absolutely one hundred percent true. As is the case with any platform that we are successful. on. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel bad at all about Steam taking a huge cut of our, right. our revenue because we wouldn't have had any of that had they not done that. Um, but I'd be, yeah, I'd be pretty salty about it if they didn't. Like if they right. didn't do anything to help, and, and then, then just yeah. took that thirty percent right? anyway. And so, so yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting mm. because it was like it was exactly the least developer friendly move they can make because the average developer on steam doesn't make any money. Yeah. Correct. And so this actually, cause people were kind of telling this is like, you know, steam's like trying to do better by developers. Yeah. I like, saw no, that they're framing. Not. I was that like, absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, they're also, trying to hold on to their high end clients. Yeah. Absolutely. And also knowing that the people who are making under $10 million don't have the choice to bypass steam. 
Yeah, exactly. So they have to they have to just yeah. absorb. The so 30%. we're all still stuck. Yeah, with that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a move. It's a thing that happened. Yeah, so it's that happened. Small, I mean, it's it, it makes sense as a business move. They want to they want to keep the high end players around and they want to mm-hmm. make that more enticing. Um, but they also don't want to lose. I assume that most of their revenue comes from the thousands and thousands of small indie games that all add Actually, up I doubt to, it. I, I think that's probably a substantial chunk, like a, a meaningful chunk. Oh, when I say small, I mean the under 10 million, right? Sure. Which, yeah. But, but they're, I, the sh- because of how everything behaves on a power curve and the sheer amount of money that is made by those top sellers, yeah, but they keep bypassing. Still, so but, but not very many of them bypass still. Like the vast majority still are on Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has become a trend though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think Steam is probably worried that this could become a problem Everyone if they mailing. continue to let this trend go. Right. And, and, and as, I mean, it is true because there's so many games on the platform and it's so about, so much about curation now that to be successful on Steam, uh, you, if you can't bring your own, uh, player base, then it's a crapshoot. Right. And if you can bring your own player base, then why would you be on Steam? Yep. And, but that's only true if you can saturate your own market. Right. If you are FIFA, mm-hmm. if you are, uh, Bethesda, if you're if you're blizzard, right, you can, you've already, you've created your own market yeah. and you have saturated it. You cannot really get more users. Yeah, people who follow your games, follow your games. They yeah. know, they know when the next thing you can launch out. it on anything and people will go buy it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, you're not depending on somebody going on Steam. Be like, what is this? What is this fallout? Right. I've never heard of this. <laughs> right. And so you don't want, cause it might be more convenient for people to go buy your game on steam, but now you just lose 30% of your revenue from doing that, which right. means you've cannibalized your sales and just given a bunch of money to some other platform that didn't actually do anything for you except yep. to be more convenient for some people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what they're trying to get away from, probably. Probably. Hmm. I just Yeah, I just heard that uh, Fortnite surpassed 200 million users. Yeah. Jesus. Which is probably more users By, than Steam And they has. bypassed Google Play and they bypassed Steam. Yeah. Wow. So that's – and they only were on i, I on uh, App Store because I assume because they had to be. There's no choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yep. You know, because right, did well. They were on Google. Were they not on Google Play? They no, they, no. they, oh, yeah. they bypassed. Yeah, they bypassed. Which I I assume that we're going to start seeing similar moves from yeah. Google as what Steam is doing. Of like yeah, they're trying try to figure to out some things. Because yeah. I mean, because uh, Epic made a very public statement, being like, yeah, they're they, not worth thirty percent. Yeah, they were yeah. like, they're going to take thirty percent for no reason because they're not going to give us any value for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then Google's like. Hur! <laughs> it was hilarious just how direct they were with that statement. I, well, they're, yeah, they're like, we don't, they're like, we don't have to play ball now. We yeah. can just say what we There's a lot of stuff Tim Sweeney says that I don't like so much, but that one I, <laughs> I got. He's a character. 30% is a heavy cut uh, for, like, there's got to be a pretty good value oh, yeah. proposition. Well, it's, it's a publisher cut, right? It's like, it's a huge, it huge cut. cut. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I think for, for us at the level that we're operating at, when the stores do something for us, uh, it is absolutely worth yeah. it. I think it would make sense if they said like, while we feature exactly, game, yeah, yeah. Uh, while it's being featured, yep. here's the cut mm-hmm. we take. Otherwise, here's what the cut is because then it's yep. just on its own. You know, those kinds of things might be an interesting model. Yeah, I, th- I think there are a lot more sort of developer friendly mechanisms that people could come up with, but those will make them less money probably. Yeah, and so they're sure as hell not going to do it mm-hmm. unless something external forces them to. And because all current game markets are in monopolies. Yep, it's going to take some effort yep. to make that happen. I think the, the the fun thing is that we are seeing this because there are some companies that have gotten big enough and successful enough that they basically get to go create their own market. But the problem is, is there just other monopolies that we don't have access to? Yeah, you know, well, the we can't thing- go publish a game on fucking Bethesda. Yeah, their it, download or whatever it is. You know? <laughs> but it, but at the same time, Bethesda is competing with Steam. Yeah, in the sense that mm-hmm. they are offering their game for sale through a different storefront, which happens yep. to be their own storefront. Yep. But it's weird that. That the very products on Steam can also be its competitors yeah. if they don't play mm-hmm. along. Yep. So 
Well, uh, and also that you can compete with yourself if you're if you're selling on your own platform because if you're selling on like GOG and Steam and you know the thousand other PC platforms that are all taking the same cut, that competition is is meaningless to you. But if you now are also distributing on your own platform where there's a zero percent cut that somebody takes. Well, there's another interesting thing that happens with selling on your own platform, which is, for example, uh, if you open up the Battle.net launcher, which is the Activision Blizzard uh, game launcher, you'll notice that they don't show player reviews. Oh, yeah. No. They don't show, like, how many people liked this? Does this have a mixed score or anything like that? You just, they just hand you the game and you. And you buy it or you don't. And you have to just decide whether you like it. It's like the the eShop. Yeah. Yeah. The Nintendo eShop does the same thing. There's no reviews shown. Mm -hmm. Players don't get to influence other players' purchasing decisions. Yep. And so nobody gets to, it works both ways, right? Like, you don't get to be like, oh, a lot of people are playing this. I will play it. And you also don't get to say, people hate this. I'm not going to buy it. You just kind of operate off. Yeah, it's basically that they don't have to solve the discoverability problem because they're only publishing a handful of things a year. So, so, and the new Discord store just uses Metacritic. Yeah. So, which does have user reviews on it. So there is that. Right. um, All right. Let's get on to questions. First question comes from. Oh yeah, sorry. These questions come from Mm podcast.bscotch.net. So go there and put one in there if you want it. All right. (laughs) First question (laughs) comes from Woland77. I remember seeing in the settings for one of your older games that you implemented controls for the Sony Xperia Play, (laughs) a gaming phone that never caught on. So far, no gaming phones have really caught on. Why do you think that is? I think gaming phones. So this is – I think it's because you can already play games on phones. Well, so this was the – the Xperia Play specifically had a – it was super cool. Yeah. It it basically had like a – it was, you could like slide out the the bottom or the back of it, and it would sort of become shaped like a Nintendo DS almost. Mm-hmm. And it had a little, uh, it had like a D pad and two uh, like touch sensitive joystick kinds of things, and then uh, like PlayStation style buttons, and I think a couple of bumpers on the back. It had like a pretty good yeah. controller. So it was like a full suite, uh, just about cool. of of controls. Yeah. Um, so the problem is, and this is the same kind of thing we talked about with things like VR or whatever, which is if you make a game uh, for a bigger platform, say like Google, like an Android phones, mm-hmm. um, then supporting the Xperia Play means you have to build in custom stuff into your game just for that one device. That no users have it. Yeah, and this and this is it's a catch twenty two, right? So on on Android, we know that nowadays there's like fifteen thousand different Android phones. Um, if one of those phones has built in controller, and like point two percent of the population has that, then we're not supporting. It's that. just a. It's generally <laughs> just a bad idea to support it. Yeah, and because it's a bad idea to support it, no games support it, and because no games support it, there's no reason to have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the only way for this to work, if if you are Sony in this case, is to pay developers a lot of money to offset their development costs right. and or their an maintenance costs to – well, not just necessarily do an exclusive, but just at least support their product, right? Yeah. At yeah. all. Because uh, they can advertise, they can tell, they can do all this kind of stuff and they might even lose money on your game, right? But they do that knowing that they're creating a market mm-hmm. for their for their product. Well, so there's a, the basic problem is that you don't have the – the major phones don't just come with a controller. Is essentially what it comes down to. Yeah. And so as a result, then most most of the games are going to be just built to utilize the touchscreen only and then that's it. So I think what's really interesting is with Fortnite uh, because it's it's an FPS, right? Yeah. And it is on Switch. Like it's you could you can and probably should be using a controller to play it because it's just a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so there's a really interesting thing I think coming up, which is that that game is big enough 
that it's totally possible that one of the bigger it could, it could phone sell a phone. It yeah. could sell a phone where yeah. someone could be like this. Because I mean, Galaxy this is Note the, was doing the Fortnite this. phone. Yeah, yeah. The Galaxy <laughs> Note was doing this where they're like, this is the this is the phone to play Fortnite. Oh yeah, I saw those ads. Yeah. And they think about it, if they did that, and then there's like, and it slides down, and there's a controller, and yeah. you're like, oh my god, yes. But it takes yeah. so I'm long to everyone. make hardware. It does. That by the time somebody it. does it, they, you know, at some point, like I think I think Fortnite's going to do quite well for a while. Yeah. But it is still going to be on the the steady decline at some point. Yeah. Once it kind of hits market peak. Yeah. People get over it within a couple of years. Yep. Um, and so if you're now trying to bring a piece of hardware to market, um, then by the time you finally get it there to try to chase some like huge successful game, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then it won't be as successful as it was. Right. But Fortnite has opened the door for this kind of a game. Yeah. On mobile. And yeah. so maybe that can still work. I think it's the thing that cracks me up about the Switch because I play the Switch just like in bed. Play it like just sit and stand in the kitchen. Just play it wherever. Is that it's just a phone? It's just a, well, it's just a tablet. Yeah, like it's just a. It's like an iPad Mini. Yep. But it has controllers, and that's why I play the shit out of it because it's really enjoyable to play. Well, and, I think that makes all honestly, the difference. Yeah, yeah. To me, this is actually where the. But also, it has good games on it. But it's because it has the controller yeah, because yeah. it allows for but like you can't go play Hollow Knight on on a iPad. You probably will be able to soon, but yeah, not right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is the weird. The weird problem with with action game, basically games that would be really good with a controller coming to mobile, and of course we have the same problem with Levelhead, mm-hmm. you know, um, is that if you can get it on a platform that has a controller, then that's the better move. Then, like, yeah, you you may get it on your on your phone, um, but you're gonna play it on that sort of like the grudge. Well, it's the last, <laughs> right. the last yeah. resort, you yeah. know. Yeah, because like I think I think there are certain games that play extremely well on a touch screen, and mm-hmm. those tend to be more like more slower paced games or games that are more like builders and and those kinds of things. Well, things um, where you're drawing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's actually better in a lot of ways. Yeah, th- basically things that where like a mouse would work really well, yeah. a phone also works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a game like Crash Ends, which is like click to move combat and stuff, very intuitive and easy to play on a phone. And I and I think you know it's it's like there are there are downsides to playing with a controller. Uh, on yeah. Crashlands right. over the touchscreen, right? And so Levelhead is going to be the opposite. And so we're still going to try to make it play extremely well uh, on a touchscreen. But it's also going to be the case that a lot of people are just going to really, really prefer physical controls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it just will be better with physical yeah. controls. And so um, and I, like I've talked in the past about how, how at least at that time, uh, I found that it was easier for me to play it with the touchscreen just because mm-hmm. once you really get the muscle memory down of where the position of the buttons are, there's no button press time right like you just touch yeah. screen and it just instantly responds responds but it does take some time to get to that point mm-hmm. right and it's not as immediately obvious how to yeah, like although how through to a stuff. good campaign because i'm practicing the whole time yeah, that's actually end up so i mean we, we might we might get there but uh yeah i think that's kind of a tough oh this is an interesting problem too where okay so we, we have got the campaign to teach people how to play the game mm-hmm. right but now we've also got cross-platform progress syncing right so now mm-hmm. you go so now you so you're on your switch you're on your pc whatever Playing the game with a controller, you play it for like twelve fucking hours, mm-hmm. right? So you learn how to do all the things, and then you Pick switch over device. to your to your tablet, mm-hmm. to your whatever, to your phone, and now you're using touch as an interface mm-hmm. for levels that are super hard, right? That require you to already be able to do all of those skills that you so painstakingly. Because the reality is, like the, the pickup is actually fast because we when we built the mobile controls for it. Like they're gonna it, it they're gonna mirror time. the. The normal controls, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm wondering, maybe maybe we actually just need like a little a little practice zone, 
Or if you can just go replay, yeah, you can just go replay older. Levels, that's true, yeah, but right? but actually something that encourages people that's a little bit more explicit, you know, mm-hmm. because somebody actually has to think like if they pick up the phone, they start trying to play, and they're like, oh god, this is really hard. I don't know how to do this. Most people just stop, and that's right. the end of it, right? But if there's a place where it's like if there's like a little practice and it's specifically for that purpose, mm-hmm. they're just acknowledging that there's a transition, that there's a transition period, you know, that we can again pull people into. Mm-hmm. Could be actually. This reminds me good. of at some point in WoW they added target dummies to capital oh, yeah. cities. So if you wanted to like practice doing damage to things without also risking getting killed and like mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to how to play your character better, but in a low stakes environment, you just go beat on a target dummy yep. and like measure your yep. your damage or whatever. So, you know, we need target dummy levels, yeah. basically. So basically you just go into it like and it actually just has the name of the skill, right? So you can just like open it up and just like try practice mm-hmm. practice practice. Um which would actually be useful anyway. Oh, yeah. Rocket League. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah they have their yep. training areas. Yep. Yeah. That's a, not a bad. Yeah. Not a bad idea, Adam. Thanks, man. Think about that. All right, let's get one quick question, and then we'll we call could probably, it. probably, I mean, we could do one or two. Well, all right, we'll, we'll see. We're, we'll only, see. we're only five minutes over. Yeah. Just- uh, all right, next question comes from Cathal, who says, hey, folks, hey. do you think you'll ever take the podcast on tour? I'd love to see you here in the UK. Uh, if we ever get big enough to have that be anything but a ludicrously expensive venture. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you pay us, you know, oh. sure. Well, a lot though, because that's yeah. like also to cover our lost development. Yeah, time. I'm not saying like give us a five dollar, uh, no. you know, monopoly money. In that situation. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you can cover a week of development time, which is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we went down to Uruguay and we mm-hmm. had uh, it was like a travel and lodging and stuff like yep. that covered. Um, but it it was still the case that we did lose a lot of time yep. prepping for that and also being there and doing that whole thing. We basically lost a week. Um, and so that's we we did we did. Not come out on top financially. Oh, no, that. no, we're close to that. Uh, and actually, that's well, never. It also slowed down development of of our product, yeah. our projects for by a week. Yeah, right. Um, so there, there is the added question of like, if you could think about it as marketing, then it would make sense. Yeah, but that's why it's I say not. If, if our, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If our, our, our podcast was big enough yeah. that that doing that kind of thing would be like, because there there is some level of success at which like it's completely fine just to lose that time and money from a business perspective. Well, this is like Vlambeer, uh, like Rami flying around the world every yeah, three days. It actually can become part of your business. And, yeah. and then even, and even if, again, if it, even if it doesn't directly uh, generate revenue, it actually just is a, as a revenue loss. If you're doing fine anyway, then it can just it's be just a really fun, do for fun, awesome thing yeah. to do. And I think at, at right now, we're not in that. Position. We are not in that position. Yeah. So I guess the answer is go tell, you know, three to five of your friends about the podcast and then, just, uh, well, go tell about 10,000 of your friends. Have them also tell. Per listener. If every mm-hmm. listener brings in 10,000 people. We got to turn this into a pyramid scheme. Okay. So. Yeah. And each one of those has to bring in 10,000 people. Yeah. Then, then just two levels deep. We great. have an opportunity that's going to change your life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, howdy. All right. Next question. Chalosis says, what is your favorite video game soundtrack and or remix album? Mm. I mean, the one, the only one I listen to really is Danny Baranowski. Uh, what's that game called? The Necro Dancer. Dancer soundtrack. I think the only one I listen to is probably the FTL soundtrack. That one is good. That is a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I listen to, depending on mood, Rocket League soundtrack because they always too, have yeah. like just dope ass, like sort they of electronic yeah. music. Uh, or I have a selection, a, ha- a hand picked selection of super chill ass ambient space music. From Eve Online, mm. nice, yeah. Because they most of their music is really eerie, but then they've got a suite of songs that are just like super chill. I need to so. also listen to the original sound 
uh, Starcraft soundtrack. Oh yeah, I do listen to that. Yeah, every yeah. so often, <laughs> I'd plug his headphones and then it's the Terran music yeah. from yeah. Starcraft. <laughs> <laughs> and someone would be like, "SUV here, yeah. <laughs> ready to go." Yeah, I feel like listening to songs from different games kind of like kind of puts you in the mood of that game. You know, I yeah. feel like Starcraft for me for some reason the the Terran music always reminds me of building bases. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's because they're the only ones who build bases, maybe. Because, mm-hmm. like, the Zergs mutate into a building. They turn That's into true. bases. And yeah. the Protoss are just like, and they just, like, warp. Like, open we have warp one now. Yeah. Yeah. It just but took the, a while to get here. But so with the Terrans. It just took longer for some reason. Yeah. With the Terrans, whenever <laughs> I'm listening to that music, I always hear SCV voices. Mm-hmm. Or kind of, like, just, they're not in the song, but, like, I can feel them in my brain mm-hmm. rattling around. Because every time I play Terran, I've got, like, 900 SCV <laughs> yep. building 1,000 buildings. Mm-hmm. And they're just very industrious. They're always building shit, you know? So if yeah. I'm, like, building a big game system, I'm like, okay. Time, Terran music. It's time to SCV up. <laughs> turn on my Terran music. It's good shit. Cool. All right. That's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. <clears throat> if you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server at discord.gg bscotch and come say hello. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. Do we have Levelhead stuff coming? Is that? Well, not now, but yeah. We will, but not now. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want that, just wait. Uh, also, if you'd like to send us something, you can find our address over at mailbox.bscotch.net. And if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee to help support the podcast, you can do so either as a one-time thing or as a recurring supporter over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.